0: On the other hand, you don't want a potted plant sprouting up in the middle of Aunt Polly's head.
1: Welcome to the Common Errors in English Usage podcast. I'm here with Paul Bryant, author of the Common Errors in English Usage website and book. I'm the editor of that book and host of this weekly podcast, Tom Sumner. Hello, Paul. Hi, Tom. We like to talk about photography from time to time on the podcast, and we've talked about various topics. We've covered some technical things, and then we covered uh, setting up shots, getting good candid shots, and getting good group shots. Uh, But even with all of your best efforts, if you know all of the technical details of what you're looking at and how to do the camera settings uh, and you've set up your group portrait perfectly, or you've captured the perfect candid shot, things always can go wrong. All right. So I think a great topic to talk about. Maybe this will be the last time we do the photography topic, but uh, it will be appropriate at the end of this to talk about some troubleshooting topics.
0: All right. I hate to harp on the same subject over and over, but one thing that we've talked about before that I'd like to say a bit more about is the very common situation of people taking pictures of other people standing in front of bright backgrounds where the foreground portrait becomes very dark, sometimes indecipherable. And so there are various ways to deal with this. First of all, just be conscious of it. Um, When you're seeing your family sitting there happily smiling at the beach, um, how much are they in the sun? How much light is there around them? How much brighter is it behind them? And make sure that you use whatever means you have either with your camera or your phone to set the light adjustment so that it's good for the people and not for the background. Another way to deal with this is often if there are trees around or buildings or something, you can move a person into the shade. And uh, faces look much better generally in shade than they do in direct sunlight. I mentioned earlier the sharp shadow from a nose going across the face. There's about no way you can really fix that well if it's an unpleasant angle. So look around for shade. Or the other thing is is to move the subject into the light, so the light's shining on them. And that will work fairly well if it's overcast or if the light is in some other way somewhat indirect. Or if you really want to challenge yourself or you don't have a choice, shoot RAW. And can't do that with every camera, but we talked about RAW earlier that gives you much greater dynamic range and then in software later like photoshop you'll be able on some photographs anyway to adjust it to tame down the background so it's not so glaringly bright and to bring up the dark figures in the foreground so that they look nice um so that's an important tip. And it's so common. I don't know how many pictures I see every day on Facebook that are spoiled by not paying attention to the light balance between the foreground and the background.
1: Mm-hmm. That might be the number one thing you think of mistakes that people make when they're shooting?
0: It's my pet peeve. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, then thinking about the edges of your photograph. Don't just get excited about what's in the middle. Think about what's on the edges. Sometimes it's nice to have something to frame your shot, like a tree branch that's coming down overhead, thinking, well, can I get enough of that branch in so that it actually is a feature and makes a kind of a frame rather than just an intrusion? On the other hand, you don't want a potted plant sprouting up in the middle of Aunt Polly's head. So thinking about what's in back of the figures that you're doing that might obscure them in one way or another. Mm-hmm. Um, one challenge that I've had sometimes is I've often shot pictures of people walking their dogs. And the dogs are very unpredictable, and very frequently the dog will wind up in back of the people, so you see somebody holding a leash, but there 's no dog or there 's just a tail sticking out someplace oh right, right you know, and that again it 's a matter of being persistent and not just taking one shot, going with it um, If you can train yourself to think about composition, think about the whole frame, how it will this look when it 's printed. Um, that's what really makes a difference between professional-looking shots and amateur-looking ones. Uh, Is there stuff in the foreground that's going to be out of focus and uninteresting? I mean... Sometimes it's nice to have a blurred flower in the foreground with a scene in a meadow in the background. But you're sitting in a recliner at Christmas, for instance, and you're photographing the kids opening their presents. If your foot with its hole in its sock is sticking up <laughs> in front of you, and you don't want that. So you've got to think about what's around the edges and how do they work together to compose a nice picture?
1: Mm hmm
0: sometimes if you have intrusion things and you have uh, oh, a bad reflection off a window or um, something that is in the way of what you're trying to shoot move your camera you know try a different angle uh, get lower down get higher up uh, move over to the right it's often more flattering to shoot people from below rather than high and for shooting little kids nothing beats getting down on your stomach on the floor <laughs> Shooting, oh, yeah, yeah, because it's just much more humanizing and flattering to do it in that kind of way,
1: yeah, and I might say shooting pets that way is good too, um if you have a you know a dog walking across the floor of your house, get down there with the dog, and it'll look more on the dog scale, and that just tends to come out a lot better than shooting from up above from our perspective, which we see all the time. And I think that's another point about shooting: is um, the best photographers capture something that the rest of us are not seeing in a moment. And uh, sometimes, yeah, just moving that camera around, switching it around. Sorry, I'm, I'm stepping all over your topic. No, all right. But uh, you know, just move that camera around, set it up, set up a different shot, set up from a different angle, some unusual spot. Your picture will look, in you know, a sense. Uh, you might think, well, that's going to look artificial, but that's sort of the whole point of photography is that it is an artifice. It's not all just natural.
0: Although if you go to art galleries and museums... These days, you're likely to see shots that are painstakingly clumsy.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> Where stuff is blurred and the angles are weird. And, you know, that's an aesthetic all its own. But if you're not trying for that effect, yeah, there's a lot of things you can do to make your photos look better. One pet peeve of mine is I don't take selfies and I don't really admire them, but people post them on Facebook, so I see them, and they're often in their bedroom or in the living room, and what do you see on the floor? Clothes lying around, you know, the jacket you threw off, and yesterday's dirty laundry. and so. mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, be conscious. You may be beautiful looking, but you're not so stunning that it's going to hide the mess in the background.
1: Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, that all goes with part of framing and being sensitive to the whole uh, environment, the entire surroundings.
0: Another thing when you're shooting people to be conscious of is if you're trying to get an overall shot of people standing, don't cut their feet off. That looks really awkward. If you cut them off at the knees, that can look like you're just moving in close, and that doesn't look so bad, or at the thighs. But if you've got everything, ankles but not the knees, or just part of the shoe missing, it really looks like a mistake. Same thing at the top of the picture. If somebody's got a fancy hairdo, you don't want to get part of it to be sheared off.
1: Yeah, I had a book cover photo handed to me once to work with. Uh It was a baby It was a great shot, and the lighting was perfect and all that, but the very tips of the toes were just off the edge of the frame, and this is what we had to work with. And I just thought, shoot, if the photographer had only captured the entirety of the foot and not cut off the tips of those toes. yeah. And, you know, I'm very confident that it does not bother 100% of the people, but the people who do focus in on that, these are the kinds of things that really uh, stick in their craw, and it can ruin an otherwise great shot if just the tip of the thing that should be there is gone. Right. You can self-consciously crop down to somebody's, you know, nose or <laughs> whatever, nose and eyes or something. Yeah.
0: Right. So don't concentrate down so close to your subject for this kind of candid photography um, that you've got the perfect shot. Back up a little bit, widen out. Give yourself some room to play so that you can crop it to where it's going to look really nice later. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, another thing that is a problem is flash. In the old days, when everybody had a camera rather than a phone and flashes were pretty universal, you would go to a, say, a football game or an ice skating performance or the opera or whatever, and it would be flash, 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 the Olympic Games is my favorite. Thousands of flashes going. Those flashes reach maybe five, six feet, maybe eight if they're really good. Way down on the field there, you are not illuminating that scene at all. Yeah. You are just annoying everybody who has to see your flash going off. (laughs) So if you're shooting something distant, turn off your flash. Mm, It's not doing you any good. Uh, Especially if it's in public. It's doing you no good whatsoever. It will make your shot worse rather than better. Uh, It's just not what you should do. The other problem with flash is red eye. Yeah. If you are using a flash which is mounted right on your camera, very close to the lens... Then the light may reflect into the iris of the person's eye, illuminate the blood vessels inside, and come back with these red eyes that everybody knows. This also happens with dogs and sometimes other animals, and sometimes there are other colors as well. And there are ways to deal with it after you've got them. A lot of cameras um, have a pre-flash mode where they say, okay, the first flash will cause the person's iris to contract and then the red eye won't be so bad. I've never found that that did anything for me. Um, the other thing is to get the flash away from the lens. And if you have a top-mounted flash unit that sticks up four or five inches, that can make a big difference. And so it's uh, sending the light at a different angle from the light that's reaching into the lens. And, of course, professionals will use off-camera lighting. We might have a a separate tripod with a uh, holder on it with uh, lights. And there's all kinds of ways to do it. But um, it's really hard to fix red eye. There's a lot of programs have red eye fix. And typically what they do is replace whatever the red was with black. mm mm-hmm. Now, if this person had really pretty blue or golden eyes, you're never going to make that look good. <laughs> no, I don't care how artistic you are. And you don't want everybody to have black pupils and irises. And it doesn't differentiate the iris from the pupil either. So it's um, working after the fact. If you've got to, sure, go ahead. I've fixed a few, but try to avoid that. Another way to do it is getting a flash diffuser, and they come in all kinds of forms, but there are these boxes that can go over your flash to spread the light out so it makes it more even, more pleasing kind of thing.
1: Mm. Well, isn't it true, too, that, correct me if I'm wrong, that blue eyes would be the most susceptible to having this red eye effect? Yes. So... Uh, in that case, if you are going in after the fact and your automated red eye replacement thing is changing everything to black, that's almost the uh, the worst possible
0: solution. Right. You're giving the person a black eye, literally. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think we talked about this a bit before, but um, also an, a common problem is tilted horizon. And I did talk about that and the fact that it's most annoying when it's just slightly off. Mm-hmm. And one way to deal with that is to turn on the grid. Most cameras these days have a setting where it can put a grid on the screen and you can line up the lines on the screen with the lines that you want to take as horizontal or vertical in your photograph. That's worth doing. Another uh, very useful tool that most gamers have even phones often have it is a histogram and you can display this it's kind of a bar chart and it shows where the brightest things well to the left of it will be the darkest parts of your picture to the right will be the brightest and there'll be a bar chart showing how much of each of those light values is present in your photograph and if it's skewed all the way over and especially if one of the curves is getting chopped off at the top that means that's getting overexposed and too bright. So you need to do something to change the way you're taking the picture. What you want is the entire curve to be within the rectangle of the histogram. Mm -hmm. And once you learn to read a histogram, they're not terribly difficult to deal with. They're very handy. And I know a lot of people who just rely on that a lot. I don't as much as I should. It's always an extra step for me to remember. Oh yeah. Turn on the histogram. But, um, yeah, it can be really useful. A lot of times, the photographs come out uh, not bad necessarily, but just kind of boring. And one of the typical ones is shooting a picture of something and just having it plop right in the middle of your photo with nothing interesting going around the edges. And there's the rule of thirds, which photographers talk about endlessly. It doesn't have to be applied every time, but it is often very pleasing. To think of your frame being divided into a sort of crosshatch with two strokes down and two strokes across, dividing it up into nine equal rectangles, positioning your main subject along one of those lines or at an intersection of two of those lines, vertical and horizontal, can give a very effective uh, feel And if you look at professional photographs, you often find there'll be even a portrait and there'll be a big empty space beside it because they didn't want the person's face to be right smack dab in the middle of the picture it just makes it more dynamic. There are lots of different ways you can use the rule of thirds. And often with cameras, you can put a grid display on that has just that pattern. And then all you have to do is use it to line up with your subject. The only trick is here to remember focus. So if your subject is no longer smack in the middle of your picture, you have to remember to focus on your true subject by, say, pushing down the button while you're aiming at them and then moving to the rule of third's position and taking the picture. Another thing that's kind of a rule of thumb in photography is that threes and fives are better than twos and fours. If you're taking groups of things, odd numbers tend to be more pleasing. Now, sometimes, you know, if you're taking pictures of a pair of twins, (laughs) that's fine. Or uh, two ducks together, male and female, you know, there's a lot of reasons to do twos. But think about uh, when you're making choices about how many to photograph. Try doing a three or a five and see how it comes out. Diagonal lines in pictures can often give them dynamism. So if you see, instead of just a a straight line, uh, the angle of a building or a road or um, just some vegetation that goes off in a slant. And if it leads you off to something important in the picture, so that it's called a leading line, that can be very pleasing. So look for diagonals and uh, see what you can play with them now besides the overall overly lit background problem we talked about to begin with the also is bright spots in the background so somebody's in front of a hedge you got a really nice picture except there's this one place in the hedge where the sunbeam came through and it's just totally overexposed there is no detail there anymore and how are you going to deal with that first the best choice is notice it before you do the shot and move the person you know or block it in some way but if you have to crop it out if you can um i have never been successful in darkening one of those things so that it looks really natural often i can use the healing tool though so I can just move it and fill in with more leaves to cover over the place where the hole is. Um, there are some people who are very sensitive to this, and he'll show them this terrific picture. It's really exciting, and all they can see is, "Ugh, oh, is that bright flash in the upper left-hand corner." What were you thinking? So, just be aware of that. Yeah, right. Um, pictures of people and animals alike are much more appealing if their eyes are showing. They don't have to be looking directly at the camera, but we focus on eyes. We have evolved to pay close attention to eyes. You know, they say eyes are the windows of the soul. That's true in a way. And that we, we read a lot of people's expressions and whether they're interested in us and whether they like us, whether they're angry, whatever in the eyes, of course, catching somebody with their eyes shut, unless you really want that is a typical mishap. But, uh, If you're trying to shoot an animal, especially keep shooting until you can get the eye in. And if the eye is in focus, the rest can be a little out of focus and it won't bother people nearly as much. Mm. If the eye is a little out of focus, it's not going to work. It's going to look strange. Yeah, it won't look good. So just be very conscious of eyes. Eyes can be given more liveliness with what's called a catch light. And that's just a reflection of some light that's coming from behind you, the photographer. And um, an odd thing in Japanese uh, manga, they almost always have several catchlights drawn in the character's eyes. It's just a big thing. And the Western traditionists prefer one if you look at people's eyes in various lighting situations, you'll see that all kinds of things happen to get reflected, but it just lightens them up. And there is a a little trick you can do. If you've got an animal eye, for instance, it's kind of dark and not really very shiny. You can go in very, very magnified view and just put a little reflection, just put a little white dot somewhere and see if you can make it look natural. I can often really liven it up. Hmm. Um, of course the most elementary thing of all is make sure your lens cap is off when you start shooting. Make sure your fingers aren't in front of the camera lens. That's especially a hazard with phones. If you don't think a lot about where the lens is located and look out for dangling straps, you know, I've taken more than one photograph where it looks really nice and they say, wait a minute, down at the bottom of the shot, that thing coming across, that's the camera strap. It got in the way. Well, this is something, too, that uh,
1: is a little bit of a problem with, with all the, I know you don't like selfies, but uh, we're in a selfie world and fingers and photos and other things jump because you have to reach up and touch the screen. I'm not sure exactly how that works, that your finger doesn't show up every time, but it's really simple to get your other things in there that you don't want. Right, And that's a problem with selfies, aside from all the other cultural problems with it and uh, the fact that they always look like they're just kind of junk photos or something like that, Um, and the lenses that are used on phones to take selfies are never as good as the lenses that point the other direction. So a lot of problem with those things, but one of them is it is pretty simple to get your fingers stuck in there.
0: Yeah. i also suggest don't always just limit yourself to a selfie. If you're in front of some building that you've always wanted to visit, take the time to also take a picture without you in it or have somebody else take a picture of you in it where they have more choice about distance and, and don't have to have a 20-foot long selfie stick to get the frame. Um, <laughs> Some people just, you know, it, it isn't a photograph unless it's got me in it. And that gets old for most people. I mean, your friends don't really want to see you over and over and over again posing in front of the sites. So, sure, take your selfie, but try to take something else as well. Another thing that people like to shoot is sunsets. And sunsets are... Very tricky, and um, I won't go into any great detail here, but bear in mind that you're very likely to get the brightest part of the sunset overexposed, too bright, washed out, and lose a lot of the color. Polarizing filters can help. HDR can help. Um, you want to shoot it fairly dark, though, uh, and probably fix it in software. You almost never does a sunset shot look the same on the camera as it does to your eye. So um, if you can avoid shooting right at the sun itself as it's setting and focus on the clouds and stuff, you'll be better off. So pay attention to what's in the sky, including any intrusions. Occasionally, you'll get, uh, say, a bird. I took a picture uh day before yesterday. I was just shooting the mountain range, and this seagull just soared right over the mountaintops. Really nice just luck. Mm. I think that's about enough tips for today. Yeah, I
1: think those are all good tips, tips and troubleshooting today. Uh, So thank you, Paul, for this. And um, we've had a lot of discussions about photography. We've covered a lot of topics. I'm not going to say we'll never talk about photography again, but if people want to go back through our podcasts and look up the photography ones, I'll try to put a link on this one that goes back to all of the ones that we've done with you talking about photography. I get a lot of great tips. Even for those of us who are not out there being asked to shoot photographs for events. Just trying to get the best pictures that we can. Lots of great information. So thank you.
0: Okay. Talk to you next time.
1: That's all for the podcast this week. As usual, you can send your comments and questions to CommonErrorsPodcast at gmail.com. If you want to support the podcast, Buy the book. The Common is and English Usage book can be bought online at your favorite online seller at our website, WMJASCO.com, with free shipping. Thanks for listening.